0: Bullshit! It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm Dave Mastovich, CEO and founder of Mass Solutions, the world's only no-bullshit marketing agency. It's episode 450. When we hit milestone episodes, I like to do something special. And nothing is more special to me than family. So I tend to have family members on it, guests for the milestone episodes 100, 250, whatever, For today's 450th, I'm bringing on the person who has appeared on the show the most out of anyone but me. It's my youngest son, Carter Mastovich. Carter, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, what's up, Dad?
0: Well, what's up is seven years of doing this, and your first appearance was December 18th of 2015, episode 32 that would have put you at about, I guess, 11, 12 years old. What do you remember about that episode?
1: Well, we were in our old house, and we were actually in your office at our old house, and we had a little mic that was as big as a phone. And if you go back to that quality, the quality is not good for sure. <laughs> and you can hear my raspy voice <laughs> like I just smoked the a pack of eggs. Let's pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe, free of BS and full of bold solutions. That's what no BS marketing is all about. I'm your host, Carter Mastovich, and let's cut the BS. (laughs) But um, what was so funny about it is we were doing, I loved Flow at the time with Progressive, and you loved the messaging behind Flow. So we were talking about the calves and the thunder and I don't know if, what you remember about that show, but I know we did hit the bullseye and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Um, I think the Cavs beat the Thunder 104 to like 98 or 100, and LeBron had a shot in the final minute, and that was against KD and Westbrook, which is pretty cool. We got to see that. So,
0: Well, I do remember pieces of that episode, and I do remember the recording on the portable – unit that we had. So when we started the podcast, it's interesting because the podcast idea first came about 2009, 2010. And I bought some equipment, was working with an old friend, actually one of my first mentors, David Smith, who is an audio guru. And he was pushing me to do a podcast because he felt that it could leverage my background in radio and TV and so forth. And I just couldn't pull the trigger. So I had bought this equipment, did nothing for about five years, then decided to start the podcast. And at the beginning, I did a lot of guest shows, and the whole first year was like fifty guests because we got to hundred episodes with fifty guests. And so at episode thirty-two we wanted to try a piece of equipment because we were going to start going to the guests because we were having trouble getting them to come because back then people didn't know what a podcast was. A very high percentage of people That were over the age of 40, 45 back in 2013, 14, 15, didn't really know what a podcast was. So I was struggling to get leaders that I knew to be on it. So I said, let's have you on, Carter. And you were always really well spoken. And we wanted to use that portable unit. So the quality is bad. I do remember the raspy voice, which you took some ribbing from your brothers about. I didn't remember the game that we talked about that you mentioned but I did remember the hit the bullseye so first we'll go to the game a little bit and then I'll refresh everyone's memory about what hit the bullseye is so that game we used to have a season ticket package is not the full season but season tickets package is like about 10 games a year that we'd go to the Cavs and I was proactive when LeBron was drafted I immediately reached out to the Cavs and bought that package and they didn't raise their prices enough for landing LeBron. And I kept those tickets the whole way through LeBron, leaving Cleveland and kept them while he was in Miami, which was painful because they were awful. And I knew he'd come back. And then when he came back, I felt like it was great. We kept him the whole way through the championship. And then when he left again, we're like, can't keep him this time. He's not coming back and the team's going to be awful. So we used to go to the games and we would get to select games. And I remember when we selected games, they didn't always give us – the best pick because we weren't full season ticket holders but I remember getting that tickets for the four of us to go to that game and you mentioned it with OKC and Durant and Harden anything else you remember from that game
1: um, from the game I believe we had like 100 level row which is pretty good and they were like I mean they were like you could there's the upper row and then there's like the mid tier and then there's like the low level and we were on the lower level already and I guess for some reason people weren't going to the game that they moved us up uh a considerable amount of rows. So we were really close and uh not close enough that you can go run over to LeBron or something, which is not something we would do. But um I just remember that we were really close and it was a really cool experience because now that I know, I mean Katie's one of the best scorers of all time and LeBron's probably gonna go down as the greatest of all time, probably. We don't know yet for all you LeBron lovers, but uh yeah, that's what I remember about the show, really.
0: Well, I, what was great about having those tickets back then was what you said. It's so funny to see how even then the NBA was still this, I don't want to say cottage industry, but, but they're just nothing like the NFL. And so many times we would go to a game and we would just call the rep there and I'd say, hey, where can you get me? We're we're coming to our game. And he'd go, oh, I can move you up a level and get you down closer to the floor and um, they were able to do that even when they had the best player in the league playing this great scorer and, and, uh, and also Westbrook. So it was, uh, it was just really an interesting experience. So you were on the show way back then. You've been on eight times. Now, back then we used to do a segment called Hit the Bullseye. And I would ask the guests, and I would say something like, uh, Flo from Progressive or Jake from State Farm, and ask them to talk about it. The concept was great and when I had a marketing type person or a guest who was a little bit more gregarious it worked well but the reason we stopped was because so many guests were uncomfortable with it instead of just being themselves and going I think the Jake one's stupid for this reason and Flo's great for that reason and I'd also pick a movie from the year of the song that I would do I would take the song and rewrite a song about marketing or PR or storytelling or communications and whatever year that song was from I would take and make that part of The sounds of marketing, and we'd then do the hit the bullseye based on the movie from that year, commercials from that year, and we'd have people choose between two things. So we could do a Michael Jordan or LeBron James, and people could tell why they chose that, or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. And I tied it all to storytelling. So that's why we were talking about Progressives Flow and Jake from State Farm. One of my stories about you is I used to coach with a guy by Dean Gilmore was his name by the name Dean Gilmore and he was Dean the dream and Dean uh, would come to practice and he'd pull in in his progressive car and so um, Brevin was probably in say sixth or seventh grade so you were in first or second grade and you were there dribbling or something and I remember you went up to Dean and you were in complete serious you said Mr. Gilmore do you know flow because you saw the progressive signs, So as a dad, that's a story I always remember. Or whatever. The show's about anecdotes and analogies.
1: <laughs> that's funny.
0: <laughs> so you've been on eight times. You lead T-Rod, who's probably been on five or six times. Your brothers have probably been on five or six times. Marcel's probably been on five or six times. Um, talk a little bit about what it was like doing that first one, and then over time, how many other times you've been on the show.
1: Well, that first one was like... I didn't really understand what a podcast was either, and I didn't understand any significance, so it was kind of just like I was talking to my dad about some cool stuff. And then the second and third show, when I came back with my brothers, I know that they had the mic more than me, and I know that my voice was still raspy, and I started to grow up a little more, so I was like, I don't really want to talk, because that would be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I just feel more embarrassed And like, the fourth and fifth show. Um... I think I remember that we did, like, some round number, probably 200, 300, something like that. And then, like, fifth or sixth kind of drags memories. I know one I kind of hosted a little bit. I hosted one myself with Fortnite, ironically, and then sixth I did about something about you. Uh, Maybe it was, like, the seventh year or something. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: And then you also did one that never made the air that we have to dig into the archives and talk to Marcel about because you did one with Ryan Norcus, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about that 2015 Massachusetts AAU team that uh, was hugely successful and had a number of uh, players that made a big impact, and you interviewed Ryan Norcus. Carter Mastovich is here for episode 450 of the No Bullshit Marketing Show, and he is significant not only because he's my son and a great son and so forth, But he's also a part of a story that he's heard so many times that it's agonizing to him. And the story starts with this. What happened was in 2010, I'm reading a great book by Simon Sinek. And the book is called Start With Why. I'm reading this book and it's moving me because it's telling me as an owner, a leader, a CEO, that we have to start with why, our why, or reason for being For the company. And as I read that, I thought, this is only one of the two why questions. And I said, because there's a second why question, we all should define our why as leaders of the company and convey that. Our why, our reason for being. But there's a second why, and that's your customer's why or reason for buying. When I started to do workshops across the country, Carter was about 12 or 13 and he had already become a Chipotle fan and so I would use this story and I would say my son really loves Chipotle if we stopped with one why your why or reason for being Chipotle has a why that comes from Steve Ells the CEO who was a chef and was way ahead of the term farm to table before it was even used he was frustrated that as a chef He could give this farm-to-table concept to people that paid expensive fees to get to his restaurant, but not everyone could. So his why was to start a restaurant that made sustainably raised foods not an elitist pursuit. He said sustainably raised foods should not be an elitist pursuit. Anyone should be able to have sustainably raised foods. So his why was to build a restaurant that would use sustainably raised foods sustainably raised foods and could be anywhere and we could all get it. And I joked at these workshops and said, my son Carter who at the time was 12, 13. I just did a workshop last month. I said, Carter loves Chipotle and every time he wants to go to Chipotle, he says, Dad, sustainably raised foods should not be an elitist pursuit. Let's get some Chipotle. And I then say, no. No 12, 13, 15, 17-year-old says, dad, sustainably raised foods should not be an elitist pursuit. They say, dad, let's get some Chipotle. I'm going to get some queso for sure. I'm going to get my favorite burrito, whatever. So that was the point to emphasize that the second why, your customer's why, or reason for buying was important. But there's all kinds of stuff to unpack about this because Chipotle's current state ties back to this and actually makes me not able to use that example as much as I used to. So Carter, after hearing all of that stuff, and hearing about the chipotle and you being a part of that workshop and during covid you'd walk by when i was doing the workshop and i'd pull you in and so forth give me your thoughts about chipotle when did you start going there what makes you love it and what do you think about being a big piece of the workshop that you know got a laugh every single time
1: well with a lot of things my dad was pretty um early to jump on things and i know chipotle had like I don't know exactly when they opened, but when I was like seven or eight, my dad was like, we're gonna go to this Chipotle place. And a lot of kids obviously want McDonald's or Burger King or some fast food, but he took me here and it tasted great. And I liked it, but I didn't like walk away. Like I need sustainably raised foods at all, obviously. Um, but pre-COVID, I was trying to gain weight. And I realized when I look at the nutrition facts, I was like, okay, I can get like 1600 calories for about eight bucks, which is a really great you know, deal. So I would go there. I'd get a bowl with two two tortillas on the side. I gained like 20 pounds over the summer, and it was great.
0: Why were from, you trying to gain weight
1: for basketball? Because I was, you know, I was a little skinny, but I, I beefed up. I'm good now. But um, basically, that was pre-COVID, and they had a bunch of problems with health because a lot of people would get sick after eating, and um, it was just it was just bad PR. Looking back at it, I didn't understand it, but now I know how the significance of it. Well, to
0: interrupt you real quick. So prior to 2018, they were adding roughly 200 restaurants a year. And then in 2018, they had what they call food integrity problems, which is people got sick and they had customer service problems. That's all around 2018. And that's right when you were going your peak time there. So you then got to experience it. They got a new CEO and then shifted things. And during COVID have changed. So talk about your experience from 2018 on.
1: So when COVID hit, I mean, I would still go to Chipotle, but obviously, you know, shops would close and restaurants and everything. But when fast food restaurants opened back up again, they had this brand new shelves pickup order type deal. And you'd walk in or you actually wouldn't walk in, you'd wait in your car and the app would actually tell you exactly when it was, you know, it was ready, which now is like very common. But for them, they were extremely ahead of their time. So I would just go there almost like every other day and be able to just pick it up, which would be great. Um, but what I what I realized with their when I when I read articles about it, they shifted their entire model of eating here to completely trying to go online. Obviously, we had to with COVID, but they were trying to do that beforehand and they couldn't get it going because no one wanted to do just order pickup. So they grew their sales from two hundred percent year over year and online and they grew their actual sales in general about 70% year over year, which is absurd in COVID year. So, I mean, when I look back at it, it was just such a great model, but that's what I really know about that with COVID and everything with Chipotle.
0: So they did two things with the new CEO. The first was they trained the employees to be customer centric. Managers were expected to ask employees what they thought and ask customers what they thought. And then employees were supposed to taste food more frequently to get their perspective on it. Talk about how you think that could help improve quality. You're not seeing someone at McDonald's or Wendy's tasting the food to check on the quality. Talk about that as a customer, what you think about that.
1: Well, ironically, I'm actually watching the founder in one of my classes for uh, macroeconomics. And... Uh, you mentioned McDonald's they obviously don't do that now it's all like frozen they just put it on the thing but back in when McDonald's first started they had the speedy system etc but they would have their chefs taste their food and they would make sure oh well the burger's not done correctly and you have to redo the old batch or something like that so Chipotle kind of is doing their old McDonald's system and they're bringing that back that you actually taste your food and realize what it is and you add more salt here more seasoning here And when they make a mistake, like let's just say that the steak is too hard or there's too much fat in it and it's not cooked right. Um, I've had experiences of that, that it's too chewy, it's terrible, so I have to, you know, make a review about it. Not a review, but I actually contact their customer service, and they're really great. They do buy one, get one free orders. They give you free entrees. So they've gotten a lot better with their customer service for sure because in the past two years I haven't really had any bad experiences. I've had some bad food sometimes, but like they mentioned – Uh, The one article that I read was, like, all their food is seasonal, and they stress that. So sometimes you're not going to have a good batch, which I think is actually pretty cool. You don't always want to have a perfect batch because you know it's real.
0: They also spent a lot of time during the turnaround with the new leadership team and new chief market officer, new chief executive officer, educating customers on the ingredients, where the ingredients are sourced, explaining that seasonality that you just mentioned and how that affects flavor and the supply. And their number one goal was to educate us on quality. And if you even think of the commercials that they used and how they showed that one animated one that takes the the son who comes back to the farm and so forth, what they were doing was actually making that first why also tied to their second why, trying to get us to think in terms of sustainable various foods should not be an elitist pursuit. So they were doing the rare instance of saying like, we're going to kind of combine the two whys and we're going to make the customer why more about this sustainably raised foods. It's not that it wasn't always about it to a portion of the target audience, but what they were doing was making sure that the casual person who might have been going there just because it tasted better and was a little bit different than McDonald's was now seeing the sustainably raised foods as more of an issue and a selling point. So they did that consciously with their storytelling to us, and through employees. So do you remember any of the ads of the last couple of years or any of the videos and anything that you can think of that from an anecdotes and analogy standpoint uh, makes sense to you?
1: Yeah, specifically that cartoon animated farmer-son-dad relationship. Um, that, I was watching YouTube and it came up as one of my ads. And normally obviously you just skip the ad you don't want to listen to the ad. But I saw this and it was so like heartfelt, like the open is so strong you're like what is going on here and you're like who's this company that's doing this and then i look in the top right or something and chipotle's there and i'm like okay i'll give it a minute it was a minute and a half ad i mean that's as long as some like youtube videos and i watched the entire thing and i was like that was a great advertisement and i know like obviously i'm more marketing based and marketing background from you so i appreciate some commercials but that was one commercial where i was like wow like that actually did a really good job.
0: That is, that's a very special one. So what, what does this mean to you all out there as we're celebrating episode 450 with my youngest son Carter? What we all can think of as our companies, what we can do to leverage what Chipotle did is the first thing that they did was they got the frontline people up and down and across the organization, they got people more involved in looking at that quality and focusing on that quality as opposed to over quantity. So a lot of times people focus so much on scaling and selling, and you'll hear me say scaling and selling, not selling on a boat, selling, S-E-L-L-I-N-G, scaling and selling instead of on that quality. So many times we get lulled into that scaling issue, economies of scale, selling a higher quantity, and they focused on quality. And the second thing they did was focused on story. They leveraged the power of story by explaining that whole process of sustainably raised foods, explaining what they were doing to help employees become more educated, explaining their differentiating factors. You all can do that. Everyone listening to this can do both of these things. You can focus on that quality and not get lulled into thinking that scaling and selling more units is as important as keeping that quality while selling a good amount and you also can tell stories that are tied back to those two why questions your why or reason for being and your customer's why or reason for buying you can tell i get passionate about this because it's been my life's work and i've seen it make an impact i've seen it grow companies from 1 billion to 7 8 billion in a couple of years i've seen it grow companies that were smaller, that were $3 million a year, companies within three years to $50 million. So I've seen it work at every level, and it's all about having the big idea advantage of using that big idea of answering the two why questions, having that slogan, that story that drives your North Star of messaging and have supporting storytelling pillars, and then having the marketing plan that's not bullshit that enables you to get it out there. We all can do those two things. That Chipotle has done. And that's why it excites me and excites me to have Carter on the show. Carter, the one thing I do want to say as a person who saw this happen from age 13 or 14, with me doing workshops across the country, you've been with me for some in person uh, when we went to the West Coast for our offices and some talks there. But during COVID, you constantly were hearing me do that analogy. And I, I delivered the same way. And, and I enjoyed the laughter every time. You know, were you completely annoyed by that? Just be honest.
1: No, I I understood the messaging behind it, so, you, you know, it was completely fine for me. I didn't really think it was anything weird. I think a normal teenager would be kind of annoyed by it, but I think a lot of teenagers are kind of quirky in that manner anyway, so.
0: So you've been around the show since age 11 or 12 when you were on it. This is your eighth appearance. You've had the chance to go through, at the beginning it was mostly just Mike and I doing it, then uh, we were able to have Suzanne, a a family friend who we've worked with for years. Suzanne jumped in for a brief time uh, helping with production, and then the last two or three years we've had the chance to have Marcel. What are your thoughts about the evolution of it when we used to do it in another location? What are your thoughts about being a part of it from the beginning?
1: I think it's really cool. I think, like like what I said earlier, is that you were always ahead. Um, A lot of people that I see uh, with like different podcasts or something, and some kid—not not some kids, but some young, um, like twenty-year-olds or millennials—you could say—they um, try to start podcasts and it's terrible. And I, I'm not like shaming them, but I'm just saying they kind of do it just because they see Gary V doing it or Bill Simmons with your podcast The Rewatchables that you love. I think right. Hey, and, I
0: remembered that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, like podcasts that are just not done the right way—they're just doing it just to do it. That's one thing that I've always liked about our, our show, your show, is that you really are doing it the right way and it sounds great and it's gotten so much better over time because when it first started, it was not, did not sound like amazing, but it was still better than a lot of them. But now it's very professional, which is really cool.
0: David Smith would uh, argue with you because one, one of the funny stories, quick anecdote for Episode 450, is the first 50 or so episodes, I had one of the top audio producers in the world a person who is hired whenever there's a court case and someone has a a a phone message that you can barely hear and it's grainy he's called in for these controversial cases to fix that audio he was fixing the audio on my show as a friend and a mentor uh, from early in my life when I was in radio and he taught me my early radio days he was doing this at no charge for probably like the first 40 or 50 episodes so the The air, the air on air quality in episodes one through 40 is probably better than it is today even because of how he cleaned it and everything. But we were just not as sophisticated as we are now. And we did way more guest focused shows, whereas now we're trying to have a mix now that we're back out of covid and we've got the zoom option. But for a while, all during covid, we went to just individual ones. And even prior to that, we got feedback from our audience who said that they liked the individual ones more, but we are gonna get back to more guest-focused ones. So that is a little quick anecdote about David Smith, one of the top sound engineers in the world, was actually helping with the show at the early days. But we were upstairs in uh, a a rented studio from our landlord next door, Pittsburgh Video Tech, and then we decided to create The Lair. And it's hard to believe, but The Lair is four and a half years ago. It was before Labor Day, of 2017. So we're going to be at five years in the lair uh, later this year here in 2022.
1: Yeah, COVID really makes everything just so much older. Like anything before COVID feels like it was five years plus. It's just so weird. But yeah, that that's pretty cool with the lair fact.
0: Well, we've got a lot going on. We added video when Marcel came aboard and um, we've got video clips. We shorten the clips. We've got a lot of LinkedIn presence coming soon is going to be no bullshit tequila talks. It's going to be a YouTube series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody knows that uh, I'm a former DJ who loves storytelling and tequila. We're going to maximize that as well. So for episode 450, we want to thank the league leader in appearances, Carter Mastovich for episode 450. And thank you for listening to another episode of the No Bullshit Marketing Show recorded here in our studios in downtown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? And build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.